First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing their gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Thank you, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. To the first-timers, if this is your first time to be with us in the worship, uh, pleasant good morning to you. We have visitors from the U.S., and uh, visitors here from Naga. Uh, also, in our friends downstairs in the overflow room, I greet you a pleasant good morning. And if you are listening to this or watching this through Facebook, a pleasant good morning to you as well. Uh, our senior pastor would not be able to preach this morning. Uh, he is with uh, the, the team that goes regularly to Karamoan, to Tugawe. Uh, they are there to minister and also to to have a, a oh this is a, a picture after they have done the Bible study they had a, a good sunset next slide and uh, today they are also ministering to the village to the kids and some youth there uh, and even as we as I speak they are also doing their Bible study and their Sunday service. Pastor Ed was there yesterday, starting yesterday and today. Next slide. Uh, to minister to our kids. Yan. Next slide. Yan. So, uh, po si Pastor Ed. So, he will not be able to uh, preach today and this morning. So, let's start with the prayer. Would you join me as I pray for them and also as I pray for our time here? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here to come and freely worship you. We acknowledge your lordship and your kingship over our lives. We humbly, we, we thankfully come before you in, in deep faith, believing that you are here with us and that it was you who have called us in this place. It is not by accident that we are here. We have brought us here with a purpose. And so, Lord, I pray, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Karamoan right now, ministering also to the, the, the village there. We pray that you be with them as well, that you would use them in a special way to preach your word. And today, here in this place, we ask that you minister to us also in a special way. Shepherd us, Lord, as we also pray for our different outreaches satellites in Daet, in Libmanan, in Buhi, in Iriga, 
in Legaspi and in different parts of the country and of the world. We pray that you would be with us, guide us, Lord, and by the power of your Holy Spirit who works in us and through us, may we understand your words today. Not only be able to understand, but be able to apply them in our lives and may lives be changed by the power of your word. Thank you because your word is powerful. It has a power to change, a power to, to encourage, a power to give comfort, and a power to rebuke and teach us. And so Lord, today we submit to your holy word. Allow us even to understand it beyond so that we can explain and that we can teach this to others as well, even live out in our personal lives. So bless our time together. We commit this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In July, uh, around 64 AD, there was a great fire that uh, destroyed a portion of Rome. They call this the Great Fire of Rome. It has believed that it was Nero who orchestrated this fire. It was him who who started this fire. So in AD 64, this was also the first official re record of the persecution of the Roman Empire, specifically to Christians in Rome. So with this fire, it caused a lot of people to be displaced. The Romans, the Jews, so some Jews were, went to, to, to other neighboring countries and islands as well. Now, for the Romans, they were so angry that they even blamed Nero, who was the emperor during this time. But Nero put the blame on Christians. Uh, this time, the Christians, they were, they were uh, persecuted. And so they were used as scapegoats because of this fire that many believe that Nero started out of his own obsession to rebuild the Roman city. Now, because of this, a lot of Christians during those times, uh, during those times, were thrown to lions and to be eaten by these lions. They were burned alive to provide lights just for the public gardens that Nero built. And some were even made to fight with each other in a gladiatorial combat where they would often lose and would often be killed. And so a lot of Christians were displaced to different countries and to the different cities. Next slide. And so at this time, many theologians and Bible scholars also believed that Peter wrote this letter around 64 to 65 AD, just after this great fire in Rome. And so Peter writes this letter, next slide, to those who are in exile. Peter's purpose in writing the letter was to testify of the true grace of God that in spite of the suffering, in spite of this persecution, God is gracious. And so he speaks of the true grace of God and to encourage the believers, the Christians, both Jews and Gentiles who are now in exile, are now scattered throughout the, the Asia Minor in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, so he introduces himself as the author of this letter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that was his title, he's one of the disciples 
of uh, Jesus. He was a, a fisherman before, but when he followed Christ, he became a fisher of men. And uh, he writes this to those who reside as aliens, not the aliens from outer space, the extraterrestrial, but those who are strangers. Another word is diaspora, those who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen. So this letter was addressed to the Christian Jews and the Christian uh, Gentiles to stand firm in the faith. That despite of the persecutions, they are to stand firm in their faith. That through Silvanus in chapter 5 verse 12, through Silvanus, also known as Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly. Many theologians and scholars in, in the Bible agree that uh, this letter was, was written in perfect Greek. Now, Peter was a fisherman. And uh, as a fisherman, he was not trained and learned in, in Greek. Greek is like the English. So the local dialect during the time was Aramaic. It's like the Filipino language, Tagalog or Filipino language. And, uh, but it was Silas or Silvanus who helped him write this letter, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. So they are to stand firm in it. Moreover, uh, he also talked about and covered in this letter other themes like salvation in Christ alone, holiness, living a life uh, that is different and that is separate from what they're, they're, they're living in during that time. God's, as God's chosen people, he talked about believers as God's spiritual house and also living on earth as aliens. So the, 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 the brief overview of the, the first letter of Peter, next slide, talks of in, in chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, urging no, his, the beloved, the, the brethren, the Christians scattered as to live as aliens and strangers and to abstain from fleshly lusts, not only immorality, but worldly lives which wage war against the soul. So there is this external war that is happening. They're persecuted, they're, they're, they're suffering, and there is this internal spiritual battle within. Next slide. And he says, and further writes, keep your behavior excellent. Can we read this passage all together? Verse 12, let's read all together. One, two, three, go. Keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he encourages them. He tells them to keep your behavior excellent before this Gentile city, before this Gentile people as they are now scattered uh, in, in Gentile territories, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. So they're being slandered. So the brethren are being slandered because they thought that these Christians are evildoers. For one, they're celebrating the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, drinking 
not the wine that symbolizes the blood of Christ and eating of the bread that symbolizes the body of Christ. So uh, these this Gentiles, they're accusing these people of cannibalism, <laughs> eating the body of Christ and drinking His blood. They're also accusing them of not being submissive to, to their king, Caesar. And there, there's a lot more that they are being slandered. And so Paul, uh, Peter was exhorting them, encouraging them to live out excellent lives. Another, uh, another version is to live honorable lives. Why? Because by doing so, because of their deeds, as these Gentiles, unbelievers, they would observe them, in the end, they will glorify God. In the day of visitation. You know, God visits for two reasons. One is to change the heart of those who are repentant. And uh, obviously, they would glorify God. They would acknowledge His Lordship. Another is when God visits, He visits with the wrath. And so those who would be unrepentant, those who would be unbelieving, still they would receive God's anger. And He would forgive uh, and, and they would receive his wrath. And so that is how the Lord visits. So that when they observe, so when they eventually believe in the gospel, believe in Christ, their lives would be changed and they would glorify God on this day. Although some may believe that this is the day when Christ comes back or the day of the judgment. Next slide. And so as an overview is now speaking to this group of exiles, Gentiles, and Jewish uh, Christians in scattered places as God's chosen through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, they are being persecuted during this time. Yet out of this persecution, they are to live honorable, they are to live excellent lives. How? Well, in the first part of First Peter, uh, they are to live and, and, and to submit to authorities. They are to submit to government, to human institutions, to kings and governors. That's in chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. They are to submit to those in charge, those in power in those cities. In, in short, they are to submit to earthly kings and earthly rulers and earthly governors despite of them being persecuted. Another way to live excellently is in the context of being a slave and a master. Being a slave, being a servant to the master, they are to submit in the workplace. Another is to submit towards each other with fellow believers in the local church. Peter will write about that in chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. Another area of submission is in the family. Now in, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, the context here is that this wife or this husband has married an unbelieving spouse. So remember, they are now in a Gentile territory. So they might have married someone who is an unbeliever. Or uh, they, they, they may have uh, been married uh, with an unbeliever and now they are in this, in this place. So this is where we will now focus our study this morning. Submission in the family. And this is the last in our short series in relationships. Uh, if you're here, 
and you have been attending the service the whole February. We have allotted the whole month of February to learn about relationships. Uh, yes, uh, last Sunday we talked about the excellent wife. And if you have missed that, that message about an excellent wife, I suggest that you go back and uh, like the Facebook page and you can, you can listen to that previous message last Sunday. And uh, by next Sunday, we will go back to our book study in the, the book of Exodus. So this is the last Sunday that we would uh, allot to uh, relationships. And so we entitle now our message, Respect and Understanding in Marriage. These two must come as left and right, as, as both your left and right arm hand in marriage. Respect and understanding in marriage, based in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. But before we go and, and dig on the text, I'd like you to look at these uh, pictures. Which marriage would you prefer? So for those who are singles, uh, planning, praying, waiting, and desiring to be married one day, or those who are married already, which marriage would you prefer? Envision. Uh, take a look, and uh, what kind of marriage would you want to have? First picture, do you want to have this kind of marriage? The, the picture of uh, a situation, a regular perhaps breakfast or lunch or a regular happening during dinner time or during merienda or any time of the day. Another picture is... Oh, I think I posted a different picture. Oh, they're not married in this uh, series. No? The second most watched uh, Korean novella uh, at this time. Uh, so we go to the, the next picture. Oh, so which, which picture would you prefer? The one on the left or the one on the right? Now, brothers, sisters, imagine this with me. Next slide. Imagine this picture with me where the husband doing his role as the leader of the family. And then the wife respectfully submitting to the leadership of that loving husband and the children obeying. Now in this family, the center of their family is God, the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in their, in their core values, in their, in their center is the very Word of God. So they rely on the Word of God, they meditate on it, they study the Word of God, and they apply the Word of God in their lives. So imagine this kind of family. Why? Because this is the kind of family that God wants us to have. This is the kind of family that God wants you and I, you and me, every one of us. This is the kind of family that He wants to have. Even in the midst of a difficult situation, even in, in times of suffering, even in times of persecution, this is what God wants us to have. This is His very purpose for Adam and Eve. The problem, sin came in. And uh, it distorted marriage. And so, however, out of God's grace, he chose Noah and his family to start new life, to start new relationships. Yet man was still disobedient. And now he chose Abraham and Sarah 
And out of Abraham and Sarah, he would raise up a, uh, a, a, a race. He would raise up a nation, Israel, where Christ would be born. But for that to happen, he must, God must set up first a strong family. And this is at the very heart, relational, at the very heart of God. He wants us, even in our time today, He wants us to have a strong family. And so, next slide. God intends for wives to win their disobedient husbands without a word. Wives should not nag, take note, using the gospel. That's the context. Instead, they should submit to them and show pure and respectful behavior. Let's look at the verses line by line, uh, uh, verse by verse. In the same way, you wives, now, in the same way, look at this, in the same way, wives be submissive to their own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. In the same way, in the first part of this this passage, this chapter, he writes in the same way. Now, what is this in the same way? How is this? What is this, this the same way? So it may be a question. What is this same way? So in order for us to understand chapter 3, we must go back to chapter 2. Or in chapter 2, 1 Peter of chapter 2, Peter writes of, of this. Next slide. He writes, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ, take note of this word, also suffered for you. Christ also suffered. Christ, yes, he was a Jew. He lived with the Jews. Yet the Jews, his brothers, his sisters, his very own uh, race, nationality, country, made him suffer, crucified him, killed him. So imagine, in the same way as Christ lived out his life in the same way that Christ suffered, in the same way that Christ being a suffering servant. What else? While being reviled, while being hurt, he did not hurt back. He did not retaliate. He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He was God and he can easily kill them. And by his word, he can easily take out their lives, but he did not. What did he do? He kept entrusting himself to God, to him who judges righteously. So in the same way, in the same attitude, in a Christ-like attitude, he was encouraging the wives at this particular context to be submissive to their own husbands. Take note, own husband, not the husband of the neighbor. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. So what kind of husband is Peter referring to? A kind of husband who is what? Disobedient to the word. So what is disobedient to the word? What is disobedience to the word? Well, number one, this husband have heard the gospel, the word. Yes, heard the word, the gospel. Uh, the, 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 there's salvation in Christ alone. So he has heard this. But despite of hearing the word, the gospel, he would not believe. He would disobey. He would not obey. He would not submit. He would not yield. And so he was he's described as a disobedient husband. Take note, not necessarily abusive husband. Just a disobedient 
husband. So what does the Bible say? If ever you're asked, what, what will I do, brother or sister? I have this husband who is an unbeliever. He has heard the gospel many times. I've shared even the gospel to him many times, yet he still would not believe. In the same way, you wives, as Christ, have shared the gospel to many. Be submissive to your own husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, this is the reason, so that they may be one without a word, without a word by the behavior of their wives. So this husband maybe have been tired of hearing the word. And so it's time for the wife to show the word so that by seeing, so that by, by observing, he now may be one. Yes, even without a word. By what? By the behavior of their wives. So what kind of behavior is, is that, that wives should, would, would put into action? Verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Chaste and respectful behavior. Chaste meaning pure, refined it's like when you're drinking tableya, you know, tableya, di ba? We're drinkers of tableya. Even if you, you mix it and use a very hot water, boiling water, if you drink it, you will still feel the, the grains you know, of, of the chocolate that has not been melted. Now, when you say chaste or pure, it's like drinking tea. Suave, no? When you drink it, wow, derecho lang, walang sabit, no? Walang, there, there's no feeling of this grain inside, no? in, in the mouth as you swallow. So chaste means pure and respectful, which pertains to with fear or out of fear. Out of fear for what? Out of fear of God, perhaps. And out of reverence, out of respect to the husband. Now remember, it could be that the husband at this time could be abusive. We don't know. It was not very clear. Next slide. And so, wife, submit to your husband and then avoid nagging. What, what is nagging? So, nagging is simply minimizing your husband, minimizing his thoughts, minimizing his personality, minimizing his, his, his character, and his characteristic through repetitive, harsh words. It's as if your husband is an idiot. It's as if the husband uh, doesn't hear you or doesn't understand you. So you need to repeat these things over and over again because your husband, you believe, he, he, doesn't, un he, he doesn't understand what you have just said. No, nagging, avoid nagging. Now, brothers and sisters, the context of this is don't nag your husband using the gospel. That's the context. You don't, you don't continuously uh, nag your husband. No, go to church, no, uh, believe in Christ, repent of your sins, follow him, obey him. No, because this husband may have been tired of hearing these words all over again. So it's time to... To show him uh, and do not engage your husband in a Bible debate now what happens this this imagine picture this scenario with me you, it, there's this unbelieving husband and then there's this 
a wife who is a believer. And because the wife is now a believer, she would feel more righteous than her husband because she's now studying the Word, she's now uh, knowing uh, God's will, etc., etc. So she will now have this feeling that she is now more righteous or perfect okay, sa kanyang husband. And so with this feeling comes now this nagging. No? Of course, there's the desire for the wife, for the husband to be saved, Yes. But it is not through nagging. It's not through Bible debate that they can be saved. So how do we do it? By minimizing our words and then respecting Him through your good behavior. We'll talk more about this next slide. Uh, but this is the idea. The idea is to trust in the Lord. No, don't trust in your power. Don't trust in your words. Don't trust in your repetitive words for your husband to be changed. Instead, trust in the Lord. For what? That He will change your unbelieving husband through your godly behavior. And that the Lord Himself will change. How? As you show what true love, what is Christ-like love sacrificial and unconditional love looks like next slide second wife should make not make external beauty as the primary means to win their husbands so they will they will uh, pursue beauty in order to to gain favor to their husbands uh, and uh, use this this beauty to attract even other husbands and so this husband will become jealous perhaps no, and perhaps give more attention now to the wife because other men are now paying attention to her. Now imagine during this time their culture. The culture is that the men think of the, the women as, as having no rights at all. Now they're very low in the status. They could even divorce them for whatever reason they, they want. No, not, not cooking properly, they can divorce. No, and then uh, they can even put the, the, their wives to death. It's in the law that they can put their wives to death if they are involved in, in suspicious, uh, immoral activities. Yes, they have the, the, the right. The husbands have the, uh, the, the license to kill their wives. Imagine this kind of culture. So wives should not make external beauty as the primary means because your adornment, verse uh, 3, First Peter, your adornment must not be merely external. What does this mean? Uh, Peter is not saying to look ugly. No, but he, he, Peter is saying uh, not to go to the extremes. Okay? Not to, as, as our pastors, uh, as Pastor Ed would, would say, I think it was last Sunday when he said, it is more wrong to look ugly. If I quoted him right, no? it's, it's more wrong. Or did he say it's more sinful <laughs> to look wrong? Uh, to look ugly and uh, no, and so your adornment must, must not be merely external. What is this external adornment? Braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on attractive dresses. Now in the culture during that time, braiding of hair was the in. Now, they have this, uh, they spend much time perhaps braiding the hair. I don't know how long it takes for the hair to be braided 
so that in a way they would look different or they would look perhaps nice. In our time today, we might laugh at this hairstyle. But during their time, this was regarded as wow. Next slide. So they would take time to really straighten their hair and then braid their hair. And then next slide. So this is a good business during that time. So what happens when a woman develops her outward beauty more than the inward beauty? In Proverbs chapter 11, as a cross-reference, verse 22, she would look like this. Let's read all together. One, two, three, go. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. So this woman has no discretion. Is a woman that has no uh, inner uh, character, a good inner character. So she looks like a jewel of gold in a African swine flu. I mean, uh, in a in a pig's snout, no, in a swine's snout. So imagine a pig with a golden ring in its nose. So imagine a woman who will still look like a pig even if she has all these external jewelries, golds and diamonds on her, she would still look like a pig, although she has this gold in her nose. And so this is what Peter was encouraging the wives. Next slide. Your adornment must not be merely external and in contrast, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, the inner quality, the inner beauty, in contrast to this external, perishing, fading, falling hair, fading gold, and uh, you might lose these golds anyway. These dresses may be worn out, and then they they may fade. Compare that to this imperishable Quality, something that will not perish, something that is lasting and perhaps permanent, not being lost as age would, would pass. Quality of what? A gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So in one end, you have this external beauty that is precious in the sight of man. Because that is how we look at things, right? We look externally. Wow, what a wonderful house. Wow, wonderful car. Nice dress. Nice makeup. Nice hairdo. Nice fashion. Yet God looks at the heart of man. So which, is, which one would you want to, to please? Would you want to please man in order to gain favor? Or would you want to please God and gain favor from God. What is precious to God? A gentle and quiet spirit. Let's talk about the gentle and quiet spirit. Next slide. Wives should follow the example of godly women in the Bible, such as Sarah. She possessed a gentle and quiet spirit. So what is the picture of this gentle and quiet spirit? She obeyed Abraham. Meekness, humility, and then quiet spirit, and even called him Lord. Take note, small letter L, Lord. And yet without fear, quiet 
spirit. So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a dis- disobedient husband, this wife is gentle and has a quiet spirit, not fearful, yet without fear, her beauty was timeless. Let's look at this, this, this passages. For in this way, in former times, the holy women, they're called holy women, also who hoped in God. They were called holy because they hoped in God, they believed in God, they have faith in God, they trusted God. They, they're separate, they're different, they're holy, they're different, they're living out a different kind of lives. They used to adorn themselves, yet here's the balance, being submissive to their own husband. And then Peter gives a specific example of that woman. Her name is Sarah. Just as Sarah how obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, small letter L. So ladies, wives, you may call your husband's Lord. Small letter L lang, ha? Huh? Uh, you can call your, your husband master, perhaps, if you may, or Lord. So husbands, Okay, uh, please instruct your wives to call you Lord from time to time. This is biblical, no? Biblical yan. But not capital L, ha? Just a small letter L because still it is God who is the Lord of all. And you have become her children, listen to this, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Let's look at the life of Sarah and what, what Peter was referring to. Next slide. In Genesis chapter 18, there is one, just one account. I, I'm sure there's a lot of account of Sarah obeying Abraham, being submissive to Abraham. Now, this is a special account where she calls him Lord, small letter L. Then they said to him, the angels, uh, perhaps it was it's God or with, with Christ or whoever, no? the, the angels, they went to, to Abraham to give him a prophecy that he will, they will bear, together with Sarah, they would bear a son. Look, look, let's look at the account. Uh, they said to him, go back, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. He said, I will, uh, one of the, the angels said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, eavesdropping perhaps, which was behind him. Next slide. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, take note, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself saying, imagine this, Sarah after hearing that she would bear a child, laughing to herself saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, pertaining to Abraham, being old also? Now, what do you observe in this passage? Here, you have Sarah calling Abraham, my Lord. Now, she could have easily called Abraham as my old husband. Yet, she calls him my Lord. So, in her mind and in her heart, she submits to Abraham as Lord. So wives, how do you call your husbands when you're on your own? Tung damuhong asawa kung to, tung sinungaling, demonyo, 
walang kwenta, no? inutil, matanda, no? uugod-ugod at uh, walang kwentang asawa kung ito. I'm speaking in Tagalog so that it will be more intense. No? So how do you, how do you, wives, how do, we call, how do you call your, your husband when you're with other ladies, for example? Now, in Sarah's thought, in her heart, she calls Abraham, my Lord. This is just one account. Remember, when God calls Abraham to go to this unknown area, uh, and, and to live in this unknown territory, Abraham calls uh, his wife, Sarah, submits and follows. It could be frightening during that time. This is our comfort zone. Oh, we are okay here. We are, we are living okay naman here. Why do we need to go somewhere else? She submits and without fear, follows her husband. Next slide, we go back. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. A gentle and a quiet spirit. We have heard of testimonies from our church, from our congregation, of wives having disobedient husbands, yet in their gentleness, as they were coached, as they were taught, by the word of God and by other uh, brethren and sisters to maintain a gentle spirit, you know, allowing the Lord, trusting God to work in the life of their husbands. We believe it will still happen. Next slide. So focus, wives, on inner beauty, which is unfading. Inner beauty is unfading, which is a gentle and quiet spirit. This is the inner beauty that an excellent wife must also develop. A meek, a humble, a gentle, and quiet spirit. Why? This is precious to God. Now, your husband may not easily or readily appreciate what you are doing, but you're not gaining just the favor of your husband. You want to, to gain favor more of the Lord more than the acknowledgement of men. We want God's acknowledgement. Next slide. So trust in the Lord again that He will change your unbelieving husband through your godly behavior. Now at this point, may I request your permission to just extend and, and just stretch out the application of this. Now obviously the context here is the wife having a disobedient husband now, look at this area where, what if, Doc, uh, my husband is abusive? Now, it is out of context. It's not really in the context of what we're discussing here. But just maybe, no? just maybe in application, what if my, my husband is an abusive husband? Would I still submit myself to him? Now, the Bible says, yes, as long as the husband is not causing you, number one, to sin. Because that is not as if the husband is leading like Christ. So still you need to obey God more than your husband. Because God doesn't want us to sin. So you can, you can, you can not obey your husband if your husband is asking you to sin. Or the husband is asking you to do something that will cause you harm. Now in the case of, let's say, what if my husband 
abandons me or abandonment. Well, the Bible, that is one ground of divorce. Abandonment. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You may want to check that out. That a, a, a husband who abandons his wife can be a ground for divorce. Another is immorality, particularly sexual immorality, like, for example, having an extramarital affair. But the Bible is also clear that the wife must be able to forgive. So if you're an abused wife, or if you're listening to this and you are an abused wife, you're listening to this in Facebook or in the internet and you're an abused wife, may I suggest, number one, you seek counseling. You seek professional counseling. What is the, I think the, the, the first step that you must take. Of course, the, the, you need to, to, to be safe first. If you're being physically, sexually abused, you need to keep yourself safe. And, and find, find protection first. Find counseling. Now, and in the process of counseling, uh, it could be that the Lord will work in your marriage. The Lord will, will help you through the marriage for whatever His will, it will unfold and you will get to know. So that's for those who are being abused. Okay. Now, another is uh, not in the context. How about, Doc, if I am a, uh, a child, a teenager, and I have uh, disobedient parents or unbelieving parents? And another uh, maybe related application, uh, but out of the context. What if you, are, you have an unbelieving parents, and your unbelieving parents may maybe pressuring you or persecuting you or whatever. No. So still, the Bible says we are to honor our parents, to submit to our parents no? and uh, pray. And the application to here is this, trust in the Lord. Continue to do good. Continue to have that gentle, meek, humble, and quiet spirit where you just Continue to do good and then let God work on the lives of your parents. Pray for them. And uh, uh, in, your, in, your, in your showing of your good works, you may win them to the Lord and to the gospel. Next slide. Now, finally, for the husband, God expects the believing husband. This time, role reversal. You're a husband. If you have an unbelieving wife, to understand his wife and to honor her as an equal. Be a gentleman because you are stronger physically and emotionally. Do so, otherwise your prayers shall be hindered. Let's look at the last verse, verse 7. You husbands, now talking to the husbands, in the same way. Same way, same what? Same what way? Same like the wife, no? following Christ's way being Christ-like, that despite of the suffering you may, you may experience in the marriage or in marriage, maybe internally as husband and wife in the family or externally no, as they are they're in a persecuted country or persecuted, they are persecuted people. In the same way, live your, with your wives in an understanding way. No, understanding way. Having a, a wider point of view, a wider perspective, as with someone weaker. You're living with someone who is weaker. Now, the word here, weaker, 
doesn't necessarily mean that the wife, that the female, that the women, that the ladies, that the girls are unequal in terms of uh, the, their status in God. No, they're, 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 they're in equal footing. So what is weaker is in the physical. So we see this in, uh, we study anatomy. No? The, the muscles of the, the ladies are, well, underdeveloped or not so much developed than the men supposed to be. No? The, the ladies, uh, sad to say this, but I lovingly say this, you have more pads, pads. No? You have more fats, to, to put that in another more direct term. No, you have more insulation, okay, fats than the male. And so these paddings, this fat kind of uh, protects the muscles. No, it kind of, it kind of uh, uh, keeps this muscle intact and then causing this muscle not to really develop no, unless you intentionally want to develop your muscles no, and become the superwoman. They're, they're weaker in terms of physical and also in, in terms of emotional, right? Uh, you're more sensitive. Your skin is more sensitive. Your skin is more smooth. Your, your skin was not made as, as that of a male, na anat anatomically speaking, which is thicker and more perhaps resistant to cold, I mean, to, to, to hardship and to work. And so anatomically speaking, scientifically speaking, uh, uh, the, the woman is weaker, not, not in a negative way, but they're different. You're different from men. You're not, you're not built for, for, for this. Now, the, the man should understand this. Why? Since she's a woman. So what would a husband, an excellent husband do? He shows her honor. Honor of what? As a fellow heir of the grace of life. What does the grace of life mean? It could mean the grace of salvation. Yes, it could be. But it's just the simple grace of marriage life. Now, in marriage life, it's not only that the husband should have the benefit, all the benefit of it, not the grace of it, the benefits of it, the fruits of it, but also the wife. You're co-equal in marriage. So the idea is if the wife is hurting, you are also hurting. Now, if, 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 if the wife is suffering, you're also suffering. So if the wife is lonely, supposed to be, you should also be lonely. No, it's, it's not, uh, uh, it's your fault. No? Because it's your fault, uh, that, that's your accountability. No, you're, you are more even accountable to God. And so in marriage, you are equal. So that your prayers will not be hindered. What prayer? United prayer. What hinders prayer? Sin. Exactly. Very good. Sin. So when you are not aligned relationally with your wife, then you have this anger, perhaps, or bitterness in your heart, then your desire to even pray might be hindered. Your desire to pray together might also be hindered. Remember, 
God wants more than our offering. He wants us to have good relationships. So if, if you want to offer something, yet you have this uh, uh, unreconciled relationship, God will not honor your offering. He will not honor your, whatever your, your service you're your doing. So you must first come to that point where you forgive and you make that relationship right. Because that is what the Lord seeks more than the service, more than the finances, more than the offering. So you might be doing things religiously, no? believing that the Lord uh, listens to you okay, or, or, or acknowledges you, no? uh, yet you are not growing, you're not maturing. Your prayers, your relationship with the Lord may also be hindered. And so husbands understand your wife, not other, other's wife. No. She is weaker physically and emotionally. Always have this in mind. This, this is what I, I always pray during an argument with my wife. Uh, Lord, always, when, when, when we're in the, in the middle of an argument, Lord, re- reveal this to me, uh, please, so that I will always have this idea that I am I should honor her rather than debate with her, rather than put her down, rather than blame her, rather than nag her as well. Do you know that husbands also nag? So during our uh, pastoral study, specifically studying this particular uh, uh, message, I asked the brothers, other pastors, if you're on on, on the shoes of your wife, how would you stop nagging? your husband. How do we stop nagging? Uh, well, uh, most of them said that if we are able to address uh, the, the reason why the wife is nagging, no? maybe listening to the wife intently so that as the wife explains for once lang, no, we were able to understand immediately and act immediately on it. So that our wife would not anymore repeat and then keep on repeating, you need to fix this and to fix this and you fix that, you need to fix that. Because we haven't listened and we haven't acted on it. And so we agreed. That's, that's one way to stop our wives from nagging. Or if you're the nagger, you will stop from nagging, right? Because your, your, your spouse has listened to you and has acted on it. Now, if you cannot control your nagging, no, you have said it once again, another is to perhaps trust. Trust your husband or trust your wife that once you have said it, you are now putting your trust to the Lord that once you have said it once or perhaps twice, the husband would understand it and the husband would act on it. Now, in a way, you could, you could communicate together. You, you, could, you, 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 could, you could talk to each other, no? I think that's the that's the uh, no, that's the that's the string that attaches all of this: a good and proper communication, no? making the, the, the wife uh, giving exactly what she wants, and the husband listening and delivering what what she wants, no? what needed to be done, or vice versa. So remember, you are co-equal, and so you must talk about this in an equal footing. So do not abuse her uh, just because she is uh, more sensitive in a way. And be a gentleman. Oh, be a gentleman. I think 
uh, I will not be able to expound on this more. This is more of an application of how being a gentleman. Well, it could be as simple as opening the door uh, of the car or the door. Do we still do that? And honestly, I, I, I sometimes fail in doing this. No? Uh, I, I, I always, whenever there's, there's ano na, eating, na, no? uh, I would immediately sit on my favorite chair and start eating no? and, and not anymore being the, the, the prince no? and the chivalrous guy who, who uh, escorts the wife no? and, 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 and prepares yung, yung chair for her to sit on. No? Gone are the days, na ba? Oh, being a gentleman. So, what is uso is gentleman So, know the consequences if we fail. What consequence? Our prayers, uh, our desire to pray to God, our desire to pray together might be hindered. Uh, or perhaps our prayers for the wife to be able to believe in God or or our wife to be saved, or our wife to, to believe in the gospel, that will be hindered. Because the wife now looks at the husband in a negative way. And so, may I invite all of us, next slide, as husband and wife, to have a vision, to desire this kind of family where there is order and there is harmony by Obeying God's word, following God's design for marriage. Two things, respect from the wife, understanding in the husband. Respect and understanding. Have this vision of a spiritually healthy relationship in Christ. Our, our goal is for, for the glory of God. More than our personal rewards, more than having a happy family. Yes, that's the bonus. That's the icing on the cake. The goal in every marriage is to glorify God. That despite of these issues, despite of the struggles in and out of marriage, we have this vision, this idea of desiring to have a spiritually strong marriage in Christ. This is what God wants for all of us which is made possible only by His grace and by His guidance through His Word. By submitting to His Word, by submitting to His Lordship, God works in ways that may be different from ours. Our ways is we want to, 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 to do this, do this, do that, do that, and, and, and nag, 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 nag all the day long. God's ways is that of a quiet and gentle spirit, an understanding way. Therefore, trust His word and His will instead of ours. So, for a short moment, may I invite everyone to please stand as we close. And as we continue to reflect on the message, may I invite you to pray together. Pray, pray with me as we bow down our heads and in a spirit of humility and faith, come before the Lord. If you're here, you have an unbelieving spouse, reflect and pray of God's ways. Trust His word that we are to cultivate that, that inner beauty, that inner character of gentleness and quiet spirit 
not being fearful that the husband will leave, that the husband will not change, that the husband will continue to be abusive and be disobedient. Yet trusting only the word of God and His power to change your spouse. And if you are the husband who is a believer and you have a wife who is pre-believer, not yet believing, not yet obeying, not yet following Christ and His word, can also reflect on how to be understanding, how to treat our wife as co-equal, yet knowing that they are more sensitive emotionally, physically, that they are different from us, that God made their brains, their bodies, their hearts different, how they think, how they act, how they speak, how they react, how they respond. So let us ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us in this area of being respectful and of being understanding. This is also the best time to pray for that unbelieving parent, an unbelieving child, an unbelieving spouse, that they may come to the Lord. Heavenly Father, continue to teach us of your way, to trust your way. Yes, Lord, we acknowledge that your way is not our way and it is a different kind of way. It's a paradox. Instead of speaking, you want us to be quiet. Yet there are times that when we need to be quiet, we need to speak. Yet in this context, we are to speak loudly, not with our words, not with our mouth, but with our actions, with our behavior. And so Lord, help us to be this kind of husband, to be this kind of wife, Continue, Lord, to instill in our hearts that you desire for us to have a strong family, a strong marriage, a marriage whose center is you and your word, a marriage that submits to you and to your word. And that in your word that you have said, you have given authority for the husband to lead the home. And so the wife submits and follows and respects for the husband to love unconditionally and sacrificially in an understanding way in a broader perspective having this wider view of the difference between each other and for those who are struggling as as children with parents who are not yet believers we pray that you also help us live out this kind of excellent life despite perhaps of the persecution, despite perhaps Lord of the sufferings and the difficulties in the family give us Lord the strength and as we continue perhaps this week to study and reflect in the rest of First Peter 
Give us, Lord, this desire to study this from chapter 1 to chapter 5 and learn how Peter exhorted completely those who were exiled, those who were scattered, the believers who were scattered, and somehow find personal application. Looking, finding, and discovering that there is a blessing of living this kind of life, honorable, excellent life, despite of the suffering in and out around us, that there is a blessing in it, Lord, that there is a reward. Indeed, one of your messages, it is blessed for those who are suffering, for those who are who are uh, experiencing persecution and difficulties. For theirs is the kingdom of God. They have your favor. You have your eyes on them. You have your protection on them. And continue, Lord, to minister to us for those who are here or perhaps those who are listening, those who are in a, in a, in a marriage, in a family that is abusive or a partner that is abusive. Lord, we pray for safety and protection to be upon them. Give them, Lord, wisdom. Connect them, Lord, to counselors, to professional counselors, or perhaps to, to God-fearing people who understands your word so that in the process of working out their relationship, both parties would come to saving faith, would come to salvation, would come to submission, to repentance and of faith to you. And so, Lord, we pray for this in every family in this church and for every family that is being represented in this church. Lord, develop, cultivate, sustain strong families for this will result in strong churches. This results in strong communities. This results in a strong nation. And so, Lord, we commit all these things, all these prayers to you alone by faith and with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless us all.